Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the goodness and grace that you've lavished upon us in Christ Jesus. Lord, he is our Savior, spiritually, physically, and every area of our life. He's come to bring wholeness. And so, Lord, we turn today to you and just praise you and thank you, Lord. You are a holy God, a holy Lord, and we worship you in your holiness. Lord, today we draw near to your word. You've given us your word. It is the strength, it is the bread of life that we may eat this bread and be strengthened by your life. And, Father, we do that today by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you by your Spirit that you would speak into our lives today that we, our eyes would see what we haven't seen, our ears would hear what we haven't heard, and it would enter into our hearts what's never entered into it before by the revelation of your Spirit that we might do what you've called us to do. Help us to see what you see, that we would feel what you feel, that we would do what you do. For that is why we're here. And we thank you for the grace. So we look to the day, the anointing that's on your spirit, on the word, and we look today, the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon our lives. Strengthen us, Lord, and to, that your will may be done this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're talking about, really through a good part of this year, Ultimately, what we're talking about is the vision for Faith Christian Center, God's purpose. Vision's purpose, what he has for us to do. It's what he sees us doing, and then he wants us to see what he sees. That's so important. Vision is what God sees. And then we've got to grow and learn to see what he sees. Remember the pattern we've taught before. Jesus saw something, it was moved by it, and then acted. The disciples saw... They were moved, and they acted. So vision is seeing what he sees so that we may feel what he feels, and then we'll do what he does. And that's what it's all about. So we've talked about in John chapter 15 that Jesus, one of the last instructions he gave to his disciples was to understand this. You didn't choose me, I chose you. That was very important for them to understand. It's important for us to understand. We talked about what it means to be chosen. Chosen means that there were other alternatives, but out of those alternatives, he picked you. And then we saw that there's a purpose for which he picked us. And we're going to go back over all those aspects of it. And then we wanted to look at how the choosing of the disciples is an example. And so that's what we see in Matthew chapter 4. We've already gone through some of this, but we're going to pick up from here today. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw... Two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting an net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So it was natural for them, because they're fishermen, to throw the nets into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, and this is what we've been talking about, follow me. So the thing we begin looking at is when he called us, what did he call us to do? He didn't call us to establish a church. He didn't call us to start a movement. He didn't start us to, to, to have crusades. He didn't call us ultimately for that purpose. The first thing He called us to do, the bottom line, basic thing He called each of us to do was to follow Him. And notice it was personal. He went to them personally and personally called them and He called them to follow Him. That's what we've been talking about. What does it mean to follow Him? We saw that what they did is the first thing they do is they left their nets. They let go of what they had, what they trusted in, what they relied upon, what had been the source of their life and everything, and they left their nets, they left relationship, they left everything to follow Him because He wasn't staying where they were. He wasn't going to live in that village. But He came to that village called them, said, you follow me. And he went because he had a destination to go to. And in order for them to follow him, they had to leave where they were. They had to leave relationships. They had to leave things. They had to leave what they trusted in. And now just follow him. Keep their eyes on him. And we gave you an example. We had someone, I remember it was Brendan, I think it was, come up here and follow me around. It was just, follow is really simple. It's not complicated. You don't have to get into complex theology and hermeneutics and all that stuff. You just, to follow, you've got to keep your eyes on them and, not, and do, go where they go. And then do what they do. It's that simple. The gospel is simple. We complicate it so we can avoid it. Oh, that would preach. <laughs> we complicate it so we have reasons for being slow at it. 
instead of just do what he says to do. It's amazing how it often just comes down to obedience. Just do what he says to do. It's that simple. We better not go. That would not be very popular to get into. We better move along here. Okay. Follow me. And what we looked at last time is that I will make you fishers of men. We spent last time talking about the fact that he said, I'll make you. He didn't call us and say, I'm now calling you. Follow me and become fishers of men. And when you're fishing men, then come back to me and we'll see how well you're doing. No, he says, you follow me and I will transform you. I will take what you used to do, what you know how to do, and I will transform you so that you're now fit for doing what I've called you to do. And that's what we looked at last time, that process he took us, takes us through. That sometimes it's a painful process. He has to weed out of us the things we've trusted in. Weed out of us the things. We looked in Luke chapter 5. We looked at Jesus, the, Luke's version of this. We came to them and they'd been fishing all night and came back. Because that's what they did. They fished at night. They were cleaning their nets. And that's when he, Jesus borrowed the boat, sat down and taught. And then he turns to Peter and says, Now go out and throw your nets down and catch, a fi- catch fish. And Peter says, No, no, wait a minute. We don't, you know, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. I know when you catch fish. You catch them at night. By the way, we're just out there. There are no fish out there. Not only that, that's not when you catch them. All our training, all our experience, all our actual empirical knowledge tells us there's no way we're going to catch fish. But nevertheless, at your word. So Jesus was training them to respond to his word, not their experience, not their training, not all that was built into them before. He was training them in the very beginning to trust his word, not what they knew. And that's perhaps one of the most difficult things for us to learn, to learn how to trust in his word not our own. I think there's a proverb that says that. Isn't it somewhere around Proverbs 3, 4, and 5? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. That doesn't mean you can't have understanding. It's what are you relying on primarily. All right. So we've looked at that. But what's this all about? What's the focus of all of this? Why follow Him? Why has He called us to follow Him? Why has He chosen us? Why is He going to remake us? And that's what we're going to talk about now. That's what we're going to begin to talk about now. All right. But we've needed that background and that preparation. So often we just jump into what we're supposed to do without getting the right foundation. And I know sometimes you may get frustrated with me. I do too. We go so slowly. But laying foundations take time. And if you lay a solid foundation, then He can build a quick work on it. But if we try to lay a sloppy, quick foundation because we want to get onto the, the good stuff, then that, found, then that building will not stand very long. At least it won't stand the test. All right, so what has He called us to do? What are we to follow? What's He doing that we're to follow Him in? What is it He's going to remake us so that we're now capable of doing? Well, we, it's right here. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the purpose of your life. That's the vision for this church. It's real simple. To equip us, encourage us, train us, so that we would go out and be fishers of men. Not fishers of fish. I mean, it's no, there's nothing wrong with fishing for recreation, or some of us are, there's some in this church that that's their profession, that's their, that's their livelihood. But the livelihood that all of us have the calling, that ought, the reason you exist, the reason you're still here is because there's a call on your life to be fishers of men. God cares about people. Things are useful and used for His purposes. Remember the prayer Jesus taught His disciples when they said, Lord, teach us how to pray because it was the tradition was that your rabbi that trained you would teach you in the, 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 the rote manner of prayer. And he says, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We've, we've done that. We've honored his name this morning. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Our lives are full of ambitions and purposes and goals, and some of us have clear goals than others. Some of us don't know what goals are, but you have them. You may not be able to state them clearly, 
We all have things we want to see done, things we want to see accomplished in our family, in our finances, in our health, things I want to see happen. And we get frustrated when those things don't happen the way we think they ought to happen or when we think they ought to happen. We get, see, if you're frustrated, it's because you're expecting something you're not getting. That gap is what's causing the frustration. So you've either got to find out whether what you're expecting is right and realistic, because if it's not, you're going to have to adjust what you're expecting or you'll be frustrated. But the real answer is to find out what God's expecting. Real maturity is when we begin to, instead of getting God involved in our lives, we begin to get involved in what's important to Him. That's part of maturing as an adult, as a child. A small child's world revolves around them. All a baby cares of is that their tummy's full and the other end of them is dry. That's basically it. And they'll let you know if they're not getting what they want. That's because they're infants. But when we're 20 years old and we're still crying because we're not getting what we want and our world still revolves around us, then we've got some growing up to do. And I saw as our children grew up, gradually they begin to, to take on an interest in what was interesting, important to us. And that's true spiritually. As we grow and mature spiritually, our eyes should get off of us and more on Him and what He wants, what's important to Him. And that's part of this, I will make you. And so God is at work in you. We looked at some scriptures last week that show that God was in work, at work in us. In Philippians, I think it's 112 or 113, God is at work in you both to will and do His good pleasure. He's at work in you. The question is, are you cooperating with his work? Are you sensitive to his work? But you see, if you don't know what his goal is, it's not going to be easy for you to cooperate with his work. But when you know what his goal is, then it's going to be easier to learn the lessons that you learn to learn. He wants to make you and me fishers of men. Why? Because it's men and it's men and women. It's people that are valuable to him. People he cares about. People that he brings into your life and my life that are important to us. But remember, he said, I will make you. So we're going to look at an example this morning of Jesus as a fisher of men. Turn with me to John chapter 4. To me, one of the most powerful examples in the Bible. This is a Jesus fishing for men. In this case, it's a woman. Therefore, the verse, we'll just start right in verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had learnt, heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, <clears throat> he, Jesus, left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, let's just, we're going to get an imaginary map out here, all right? Just so you get an understanding of what's going on. We're, pardon my back here, but, but Israel at the time, the southern part, was basically Judea. That's where Jerusalem is in the southern part of Israel. The northern part is Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee is. In between at that time was a land called Samaria. Now the Samaria, Samaritans, Samaria, was where when, when, the, when the children of Israel, especially the children of Judah, were taken by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, into captivity what he did was he left some of the Jews there and he resettled some other people into that same area. And over the years they intermarried. So they became in essence a mixed breed. So what we're going to see here in essence is a racial issue. I mean we understand what that is because our nation still deals with racial issues. One of the wonderful things that God's done in this church is we have a wonderful mixture that, that the world's trying to legislate and it's not working, but the Spirit of God brings unity and we worship side by side and don't even notice the color of our skin. And that's, what, that's how it should be. But that's not what was going on here either. Okay, so Jesus knows that, that what's happening is the Pharisees are now after him so he's got to go back up to Galilee, but to get to Galilee, he's got to go through Samaria. All right. A little history and background there. Okay. 
Verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. Why? Because it was between where he was and where he needed to get to. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Joseph, therefore being weary, excuse me, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat down thus by the well, for it was about the sixth hour. Now under Jewish clock, that was about noon. So under Roman, it was about six in the evening. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. So she's just about her normal routine of life. By the way, where, where do you catch fish? This is not a trick question. <laughs> you catch them in the water. Why? Because that's where they live. So in order to catch fish, you've got to go where they are. Except in an extraordinary situation, they don't usually jump out of the water into your boat. They don't usually jump out of the water onto the land up to your house. But isn't that what we expect them to do in church? We don't know. Why, why aren't they coming? Because they're out in their natural environment. So to catch fish, you've got to go where the fish are. My mother has a place in Maine, on the coast of Maine, a beautiful beach. And um, you, would, you know, they'd see the fishermen out early in the morning with their rods, you know, out in the point, because they figured out where the fish usually are. And they're out there, and all of a sudden, you know, see seagulls down at the other end of the beach. And they'll see, you know, the water troubling like that, which means I've been down on the beach in Barrington where I live, and I've seen that. And all the fishermen, God, they rush over to where the, where the, where the water's troubling like that. Why? Because they want to go where the fish are. They're not standing there saying, I'm believing the fish are going to come here. So you've got to go where the fish are if you really want to catch them. Now, if you just want to be out fishing, so you can say you were fishing... You don't need to go where the fish are because you've got your fishing equipment and you went fishing. But if you want to catch fish, you've got to find out where the fish are. And then we're going to see you've got to find out what they're hungry for. I don't know why they don't come. I don't know why the fish don't just jump out of the, out of the sea and land at my feet and get in my, you know. I don't know why they don't do that because fish don't do that. You've got to go with, they don't want to come out of where they are. They want to stay where they are. So we've got to go where they are and show them something as a reason why I ought to come where we are. And that's what he's about here. But he's using everyday natural things. Notice he's not standing up preaching. Notice he's not condemning this woman. He's not sitting there saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't listen to what I have to say. Notice what he does here. Because he's a fisher of men. The story is in here to teach us and train us how to fish in the circumstances of our life. In everyday circumstances around you, there's fish. There's fish. All right. His fish. Now, a little background here. Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, and Samaritans didn't talk to Jews. Second thing, men didn't talk to women directly. So to have a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman was breaking two customs, two traditions, two barriers, two walls. But Jesus wasn't so concerned about barriers and walls, was he? So a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, so he speaks to her, please give me a drink. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't start preaching to her. He asks for something from her. She's going to automatically have walls up. 
She recognizes that he's a Jewish teacher by his clothes. And he's male. And they're not supposed to have any contact with each other. So she's most likely going to be intimidated by him. All their traditions, all their customs said, you can't talk to him, he can't talk to you. So instead of coming on strong at her, he simply displays a need. He's vulnerable before her. Say, would you please give me a drink of water? Now whether he was really, I'm sure he's really thirsty, but there's purpose in what he's doing. Would you please give me a drink of water? So often we don't know how to begin a conversation with somebody because we're there to evangelize, we're there to get them saved. I don't have any notches on my gun lately. You know, we, there's a mentality about their evangelism that's like the old gunslingers of the West, the old West, you know. You, you know, I got four saved this week. I got notches on my gun to prove it. It's all about having his heart for them. So he just says, I'm thirsty. Would you please give me a drink of water? That begins to break a barrier down. That begins to break a barrier of separation down. He's vulnerable before her. I'm thirsty. Would you give me something to drink? Let's see her reaction. This is a wonderful progression here. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now we'll see later on in verse 27 that the disciples were surprised he'd been talking to a woman. And he answered and said to her, Now what's happening is she's engaging in a conversation with him. Now he's going to begin to move the conversation. And he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. Now she doesn't understand. We know who he's talking about because we've received that living water. She has no clue what he's talking about. You've got to be careful, you know, when you're talking to unbelievers. We use church language. We assume they know what we know. You didn't know what you knew until you knew him. The Bible says that it says in 1 Corinthians that spiritually things are spiritually discerned and a carnal man, not just a carnal Christian, but a, a, an unsaved person cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Why? He's not in them. So I don't expect him to understand. And that's one of the mistakes I've had to learn to get over because my background is I was a philosophy major. I was a lawyer for 20-some years. My, my basic insight, and I'm a teacher, so my confidence is I can explain it clearly enough they'll get it. I can teach, then I've got to teach it better. But it's not a mental thing. There may be some understanding involved, but all of it is believe in the heart. It's believing in the heart. It's a work of the Spirit to take your words, my words, and touch their heart with that words. I can't get anybody saved. My job is just to tell them some things. And the Spirit of God's job is to take what I say, those words, but they've got to be real, they've got to be heartfelt, they've got then anointed by the Spirit, and touch their heart with it. But I've got to do my part so He can do His part. So Jesus said, if you knew who it was that's talking to you, and the gift of God that He was, then you would ask of Him, and He would give you living water. And she doesn't know what He's talking about at this point. All He's trying to do is get her curiosity. Now, I know there's types of fishing, which we may get into later with the used nets, and that's what these men did for, for large fishing. But if you're going to go out catching single fish, you use a hook and something you put on that hook, isn't it? What's it called? Bait. Bait. Why? Won't they just bite at the hook? You mean if I just... I know! If I just throw the hook in the water, they don't just bite at that? Why not? They don't even, there's nothing attractive about it, is there? It would be painful, to, and it is for them. So they're not going to bite at an empty hook. There has to be something on that hook that they want. 
There has to be something on that hook that's desirable to them that's to draw them towards what you, what the fisherman wants for them, which is to catch them, which is what our calling is. That's what he's doing. He's baiting the hook because he's beginning to talk about something that he knows down inside she desperately needs. She hasn't acknowledged her need yet, but he knows she needs it. What he's going to start doing is talking about a natural thing that she can relate to and understand, but what he's after is giving her the spiritual thing that she desperately needs but doesn't know she needs yet. All right. And I'll give you, and he will give you living water. She doesn't know what that means at this point. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw without, and the well is deep. Where are you going to go get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, who drank from it himself just as his sons and his livestock? In other words, he dug the well, and you're going to get something out of the well with nothing to draw with it? Are you greater than he? Obviously he was, but that's not what the issue is. Jesus is an answer and said to her, he's still trying to bring her to another level. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. She understood that. Why? Because she had to come back every day and fill her water pots up. She understood the idea that the natural water, although it gave a temporary relief, it did not ultimately satisfy because they had, she had to come back day after day after day to get this water because she always needed more. All right. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. I saw something yesterday. I'd never quite seen it here before. You may have all seen it, but it suddenly hit me. I don't know how somehow I was thinking that he was saying here that if you drink of this water because it's so satisfying, you'll never get thirsty again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you will come to me and receive the gift that I have to give you, I'm going to put in you a fountain. In other words, the source of the water will be in you. So that you don't have to go somewhere and get it. And it's not that you take one drink and you never get thirsty again. The source of the water, the living water, the water that brings life, that satisfies, will now be in you. The source of it will be in you. Now, it's been very hot here, obviously, and in other parts of the country. Have you been thirsty in the last few weeks? Thirst is a a need. Thirst is, is is a desire. It starts as a desire. But if you don't satisfy that thirst, what happens is it becomes a drive. I mean, first it starts as kind of, you know, a matter of taste. Well, you're thirsty. What would you like? You know, my wife often, you know, for dinner, what would you like to drink for dinner? Well, you know, it's some water, maybe some milk or something like that. You know, it's no urgency because I'm, you know, I'd like something to drink with the food so it doesn't get dry in my mouth. But, you know, but if I haven't had anything to drink all day, now it's a matter of what's going to satisfy that, that taste, that need. But if I haven't had a drink in two days and it's been out and hot, then it's no longer a matter of my taste. Do I want milk or water or tea or something like that? Now what is is that that desire is not just a desire of a matter of an appetite. It's an expression of a deep need that my physical body has because my physical body must have water to survive. So when I'm getting generally what I need, it's just a matter of taste. But when I haven't had what I need for a long time, then it's no longer a matter of taste. It's a matter of urgent and desperate need. So there are people you may run into that look at what you want to share with them and what's going on in your life. As, and I've had people do it. Well, I don't need that. I remember when I first got saved. I was in a large law firm. 
And I remember sitting down with a guy who I worked with who was next to me and sitting down with him. I said, let's go out and, you know, we worked basically right next to Government Center in Boston. It was a nice spring day, you know. I said, let's get a sandwich and let's just sit out there and I want to share with you, you know, what's happened to me. And I shared as best I know how from the depths of my heart, as real as I knew how. And he looked at me and says, well, that's nice for you, but I don't, you know, I don't need that. What he was sensing from me was something that was a matter of taste. Well, that's good for you, but you know, I'm not thirsty for that. The interesting thing was in a year, within a year, year and a half, uh, his wife had left him. He'd been kicked out of the law firm in disgrace. I saw him years later. His life was a tremendous mess. He had a need, but he didn't know it. So in his mind, it was just a matter of water or iced tea. Well, you know, it's a matter of preference. Jesus is trying to touch her at a level because when, when, there's a, when, we, when we haven't had something, then that thirst is an expression of an essential thing to live. And see, we sit here in a comfortable society, in a comfortable place, so we think of thirst as a matter of water, iced tea, milk. But in that kind of land... You had to have a source of water or you didn't live. So they knew where those waters were. They were called wadis, W-A-D-I's. They knew where they were. They couldn't develop anything unless they first of all dug a well because water was essential to life. So when he's talking to her about water, it has a different significance to her than it probably does to us sitting here comfortably, you know, knowing when we're out of here we can get a drink of water, we can go to get some coffee or whatever it is, you know, we want. To them it was a matter of life and survival. And so he's talking to her about a need inside to be lived for life. But this is not natural life. This is a spiritual life that she didn't even know she had a need of. All right. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Sir, give me this water that I might not see. She's beginning. Now, I'm not a fisherman. Because in order to be a fisherman, you've got to catch fish. When I was growing up, I tried to fish, but somehow I wasn't doing something right. But I've known some fishermen, and from my understanding is that, at least if, you know, I guess something wrong, but the example's good. When that fish is getting near the bait, remember you've got to put bait on it, because you've got to put something on the fish wants to eat. The fish will begin to smell it, come up at it, and even if they start to bite on it, I was taught, you don't just pull it in right away. You've got to let them play with it a little bit, so that when they bite it, they bite it so the hook really gets caught in them. Otherwise, when you go to pull it in, they'll jump off. Now, there's a lesson in this. That's what he's doing here. He, she's now smelling something. She's now sensing something that's touching a, knee, a desire in her. So she's stepping a step further with him. This is why to, when, you're, when you're fishing for men, you've got to learn to be sensitive to the Spirit. He'll show you what to say, what not to say. And often it's little simple things that can catch somebody's attention. And be sensitive to what's going on. And it may take place over a period of time. It may not be in one sitting like his. It may be at work and somebody comes to you and just says something to you and they know you're a Christian and you just share some little thing with them and then you just kind of wait and see what they do. They're smelling the bait. They may come up and play with it a little bit. And you'll know when they're ready because there'll be a pull on the line. That's what he's doing here. And so she's beginning to get interested in what he's talking about. Now, one side thing here. I started by saying, understand that, that, the, that the Jews and the, and, the, and the Samaritans didn't talk to each other. They were bitter hatred. So notice what Jesus is doing. He's crossing the boundaries. It's the love of God 
going outside the normal comfort zone and boundaries. That's where the fish are. If he stayed within custom, if he was concerned about offending people, if he was stayed within his comfort zone, he would have sat there till the disciples came back with food, she would have gotten her water and left. His heart is to reach the people that we think are unreachable. His heart is to reach the people we think don't deserve to be saved. What right do you and I have to decide who deserves to be saved or not? Just ask Jonah. We talked about him last week. See, it's his business we're about, not mine. What right do I have to judge that somebody would be a good Christian or a bad Christian? My job, so you just catch fish. You don't, you don't look at the fish ahead of time and say, that'd be a good fish, this would not be. No, they just catch fish. That's not my job. My job is to reach out to those that God has put in my path and let Him decide. James says when you do that, you become a lawgiver yourself. When we judge one another, when we judge a person, we become that. Not There's some cases where you judge what they do, because the Bible tells you to do that. But when you judge the person, James says you've become a lawgiver, and there's only one. In other words, you put yourself in God's place. Only God has the right to do that. And then Romans says, who are you to judge another man's servant? All right, well, we want to go there either. That's not too popular. Let's get back to fishing. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. That's, that's got her interested now. So she's beginning to bite at the bait. Jesus said to her, Now we're going to see something change here. Go call your husband. Now he's not changing the subject. And the woman asked, answered and said to him, I, I have no husband. He says, you have well said you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. In other words, you're living in sin. Now, is he here to condemn her? No, he's drawing her close. What's operating here? We see here an example of one of the gifts of the Spirit. Shows us that in the process of catching fish, the gifts of the Spirit are not really primarily for church. They're for operation out there. Because the purpose of the spirit, gifts of the Spirit, it says in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they are manifestations of the Spirit. What's the word manifest mean? It means to make known something that already always existed before, but now you can see it. Last summer we went out on a whale watch. It was neat. I'd never been on one before. And, and we're out, in, you know, they have a place out off Provincetown where they know the whales are. And you go out in this boat, you know, it's a nice, beautiful day. We're, you know, talking to friends and going along and just having a good time. And they get out and say, now, get re-ready, we're going to see some. And, and, and what would happen is, is suddenly this, this tail would break loose out of the water and we'd come out of the water. And you know what they'd say? There's a whale there. How did they know there was a whale there? Because part of the whale manifested it came out of the water. Not only could they tell that the whale was there, they could tell which whale it was because these whales on their big tail called a fluke have patterns on them. I never knew this. And each pattern is unique. And they could, they've named, at least where this whale watch was we went, they've named these whales. So not only do they know now where the whale is, they know, they know where you know Spot is or Fluffy or whatever the name, whale's name is. <laughs> So they can tell that there's a whale there and they can tell you what kind of whale it is and they can tell you which whale it is. Understand me carefully. So the purpose of the manifestation of the Spirit is to make known in the natural realm that the Spirit of God is present here. See, the whale was there before the tail came up. But we didn't know the whale was there 
until it manifested. When it manifested, now there's a, to our senses now, it's real that this whale is there and we know some things about him or her, whichever one it is. The gifts of the Spirit are manifestations, supernatural exhibits of a part of the Spirit. That's why later on it says, for we know in part. And to tell us something about Him and His presence here. So those nine gifts are supernatural and they're designed to reveal that He's here. So in this is what's going on here. Jesus is talking to this woman and now He's reading her mail. He's telling her things about her life without having ever met her before. And the Spirit of God is revealing these things to Him for the purpose of hauling her in so that she now has some tangible evidence that there's something supernatural going on here. This is not just an average conversation. Giving credibility to this man, who obviously didn't need credibility, but to her he did. Well, bring your husband here. Notice he didn't stand up and condemn her. Boy, have you messed up. You've got five husbands. And you're now living in sin. Repent or you're going to hell. A fish goes, Remember, we're not, we're not about proclaiming the gospel. We're here to catch fish. The gospel is what will catch them, but the goal is to catch the fish. So here's a, he's, he's flowing in a gift of the Spirit, the word of knowledge. He's saying, and he's doing it in a very subtle way, you know. Well, bring your husband, because he wants her to tell him the situation. She's beginning to trust him. Well, bring your husband. Well, I I don't have a husband. She's not exactly coming clean at this point. But we can't really point fingers at her. I mean, she's kind of gradually opening up to him. But he's being gentle with her and yet very purposeful. That's right, you don't have a husband. But you've had five. And the one you're living with now, mm, you ain't married with him. By the way, that's called sin. You don't hear much about that anymore. It's not the way we do things nowadays. See, that's what the world standard is. But we're not going to stand before the world. We're going to stand before God, and He's going to hold us account for what His Word says. And to live together with somebody else in that kind of relationship that you're not married to is sin with very serious consequences if I read my Bible correctly. Fornication and adultery is sin in the eyes of God and He's the only one that counts. And hell is populated It's not something to mess around with. And he's trying to set her free and give her something. But sometimes in order to receive it, you've got to let go of what you're doing and repent. We don't hear a lot about that in getting saved. Well, I received the gift. Now you've got to repent of what you've done and receive the gift. All right. Well, that was really popular. It's the truth. It's the truth. And I don't have to stand before God and say, I was popular. i got to stand before God and say, I told the truth. All right. She said, the woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Now, she doesn't still know who he is. Now, this is interesting. She's got... Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. You ever ever be talking to somebody and you're really getting down to them, and they start changing the subject? Well, if that's true, what about all the people in China that never heard about him? Suddenly they're going to get into a theological discussion. Why? It gets the focus off of them. 
Because the issue isn't that all the children in China or wherever. The issue is you. Well, what about the people that haven't heard? Are they going to go to hell? But you have heard. What are you going to do? So when you get close to catching the fish, they may start wiggling, flopping around so that they can get off the hook once you've started to catch them. And that's one of the things I think is going on here. Try to change the subject. Well, well, you know, you worship in Jerusalem and we worship here. Where's the right place to worship? Now notice what he does with this. Woman, believe me, verse 21, the hour is coming when you'll neither worship on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but you'll worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship... We, we, for we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship. In other words, it's not going to matter where you worship, it's who the, your relationship with Him. So it's keeping the focus on. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And now he's got her. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Do you realize that when you talk to somebody that he's talking to them? You are introducing them to Christ because He lives in you. Just as He's talking to this woman, when you talk to somebody, He's talking to them because you're one with Him. They're meeting Him when they meet you. Are you representing Him? Or are you representing yourself? I'm talking to me as much as you. Are you doing what you want done in that situation, whether it's the grocery store or at work, or are you there representing him with what he wants done? I who am talking to you am he. At this point, the disciples came, and they marveled that he was talking to a woman. See? Yet no one dare said to him, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water pot. Now what did she come up there to do? Get water because they were thirsty. Her cattle need, her people back at home needed water. She came up there to get water. She doesn't care about the water anymore. It's interesting. When you start getting in contact with real life, this real spiritual life, the stuff of this world just doesn't matter so much anymore. The water that was so desperate, they were, see, they didn't go up there just to get a little drink. This was their water supply for the day. Something has touched her and stirred her so much, she didn't care about the water. Why? Because she now is tasting living water. Something has touched her inside and motivated her. And the stuff that was so important to her just a few moments ago, now she just left it like they left their nets and left their businesses and their families. And she heads into the town. (laughs) And the woman left, verse 28, woman left her water pot, went on her way to the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things I never I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now this is a woman with a reputation. She got five husbands. You don't think in a community that doesn't get around? And she when she's living with this and her she's shacking up. And she says, Come see a man I met. No, it's new. When you first come to Christ and you start sharing with people, they're going to look at you the way you were. But they did that with Jesus too. 
Oh, yeah, we know you. We know the knucklehead things you've done. We know your reputation. Why would you listen to you? But she's not dissuaded by that. She's so moved by this experience, she can't keep quiet. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can he be the Christ? So the disciples... All right, verse 30. So they went out of the city and they they came to him. In the meantime, he's saying scenes again, his disciples were urging him, they've come back from McDonald's now. They went to get, you know, their Big Mac or whatever he liked, you know, fish sandwich, and they're on their way back. So they've arrived back with lunch. That's basically what's happened. They've arrived back with lunch, and they said to him, they urged him to eat, verse 31. But notice this, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you don't know. The disciples said to one another, who brought him food? See, their mind's still on, ah, I want to eat. I'm I'm hungry. Jesus said, verse 34, but my food, what satisfies me, what gives life to me, what strengthens me, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. If you're frustrated in life, if you're confused, if you're discouraged, and all the other negative things that we're tempted to go through, ask yourself this. Are you really doing His work? Because when you're really doing His work with all your heart, somehow it satisfies at a level so the rest of that stuff is there and you've got to contend with it, but it doesn't pull you down. He was physically hungry. But he wasn't even concerned about his physical hunger because what he had just done satisfied. Remember how you feel when you've shared the Lord with somebody? Woo! I mean, you're just... Why? There's a spiritual life inside of you that energizes your physical body. Jesus would minister all day long and instead of going and laying back and watching TV, he'd pray all night. Why, was he trying to fulfill some obligation? No, he knew where his battery was was plugged in to get recharged. Spiritual life is eternal, it's real. It is that fountain that if you drink of it, it, you'll never thirst, never thirst again. When you do his will, you're not hungry again. You're satisfied because it was what you are made to do. So if you're not satisfied, most likely you're not doing what you were made to do. You're trying to feed on something else instead of the food He's given you and given me that truly satisfies. All right, let's bring this down. Verse 35. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already right with harvest. I believe what's going on here is Jesus is over here talking to his disciples at the well. And now he's saying, I've had food to eat of which you don't not know of. And he says, don't say that four months you're going to see the harvest. Look, the fields are white for harvest. Because I believe that what's doing is coming here, coming out of this city, is all the men who've come to see who this man is that she just told them about. So the harvest he's looking at is not something down the road. It's these men coming up to find out who he is. Look, the fields are white for harvest. Right for harvest. My wife ran into somebody the other day in a store, I don't remember where it was, that in essence just came up and said, basically, what do I have to do to be saved? It wasn't quite that blatant, but it was almost. The fruit, fruit is ripe, my brothers and sisters. A ripe fruit, you just got to go. You don't have to pull at it. You just sometimes just touch it. The fields are ripe for harvest. When you read the paper and you see things getting worse, rejoice. Why? It makes the fields riper. The answers that people have looked to before are failing. They're they're disappearing. They're disintegrating. They're falling apart before their eyes. And there's nowhere else to turn. That creates a hunger and thirst. Why? Because the things that used to hold them up can't hold them up anymore. 
part of the ripening process that we're here for. Let's go to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Look at this. Because of the word that the woman testified. Because of the word that the woman testified. Because of the word that the woman testified. Because she opened her mouth. What did she testify? Because of the words she said, He told me all that I ever did. She didn't explain theologically who he was. See, sometimes we get inhibited because we think, well, I don't know enough of the Bible. Yeah, but you know all you need to know. You know what he's done for you. That's what she's telling him. Look what he did for me. He told me all I ever did. That's all she knew. And she knew who he was. That's it. She knew the promise he made. She knew who he was. And she knew what he'd done for him. That's all she knew. But she got a city to come out. She started a revival. Because it was real to her. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they all, men get up, many of them got up and ran out to see him because they believed what she did. They believed the woman with a bad reputation. Why? Because something had changed her. Something had moved her. She had tasted something. She had experienced. She didn't understand what it was. She couldn't explain it, but she just knew something had to happen. It's like the blind man says, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was blind and now I see. You figure it out. But sometimes we think we have to know more. All you got to know is Him and what He's done for you. That's your testimony. And nobody can argue with what He's done for you. So I don't agree with that. How can you disagree? He did it for me. I was there. You weren't. You don't have to accept it, but you can't argue with it. And I know it, I know it well. I don't have to rehearse it. <laughs> I know what He's done for me. This is why we're here. This is the vision of the church. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. That wasn't his plan. He was on his way back to, back to Galilee. You know, sometimes in order to catch fish, we've got to go when the fish are ripe, when the fish are there. And, and it's not, a, you know... Well, I, I like to go fishing, but I don't want to get up and get going before seven or nine or ten in the morning. But the problem is the fish are out at daybreak. In their day, the fish were out at night, but I don't want to fish at night. I'd rather fish, you know, ten, eleven o'clock when I've had my coffee and you know, donut and whatever. You know, I buy the fish then. The problem is that's not when the fish are there. So Jesus changes his schedule because of the fish. They're stirring. They're hungry. They're, they're, if you've ever seen fish on the water, when they're, they, they get into a frenzy, and they're just, the water's like, it's like the water's on fire with them. And boy, that's the time to catch them. That's what's going on here. All right. Got to bring this to a close. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. See, this is the progression. They started believing because of her testimony. But when they had an encounter with him and heard him speak to them, now they began to believe because of his word. And now they're fully caught. Now they're developing a relationship directly with him. See, we're responsible for bringing people to him and then having, helping them develop their relationship with him not through you. Not dependent on you. But you're the vehicle to bring them to Him and help them learn and develop a relationship with Him because as they develop a relationship personally with Him so that they begin to follow Him. And when they begin to follow Him, then He can begin to make them into fishers of men. Notice immediately that's what she did. She went out and fished. All right. Verse 42, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that indeed that he is the Christ, the Savior 
of the world. They now believe because of his word, not just her word. There are other examples we can use, and we may look at some. We'll see how God leads us to go. But this, to me, is one of the clearest examples of the heart of God. You realize, sitting here this morning, you were a fish. And it may not have been sitting at a well. I don't know where it was. But somewhere, someone spoke to you. And in such a way that the bait was put out. And it may have, with me, it took a long time. I smelled it, pushed at it, you know, ran away from it, came back. But I always kept coming back to it because there was something about that that was real. The people that I'd met, there was something about them that they believed that was real in them. It wasn't the ideas they said. It wasn't even so much the words they said. It was them. There was something genuine about what they believed. And see, that's the real bait. It was genuine to them. It's genuine to you. And when they see that, that's what draws them. Because the world's telling them all kinds of things. It's when it's real in you and me that there's a smell to it that attracts them. Follow me. That's the call. And I will make you. That's his work. What he's making us into, his vision for this church. We're going to talk more about how. The vision for this church is it really is for every church. It's nothing complicated. Is that we are called to learn how, to be equipped. This is part of our job here. But the goal is, the ultimate goal of all of it is, so that we learn how to and then go do, be fishers of men. I ended last week and I'm going to just say it tonight, today. I don't know the people that are out there right now. I know some people, but I don't know everybody. But God does. He knows every soul that's out there this morning. He knows where they were last night. He knows people out there like this woman we've looked at this morning, whose lives are a wreck, whose past history is nothing but failure. I mean, all she had was failure of relationships. And he didn't condemn her. He loved her. There's people out there today whose lives are broken, whose hearts are broken, They're without hope. They're trying to drink something that's going to satisfy them. And there's nothing out there the world has to satisfy that thirst. So they're trying to find it in alcohol. They're trying to find it in drugs. They're trying to find it in sex. They're trying to find it in all kinds of things. And all they do is get hooked more and more, not on his hook, but on Satan's hook. He has bait also. There's competition in this waters. And they're out there right now. And he hears their heart. He doesn't condemn them. He hears their heart and their cry. And he's calling out today saying, Who will go? Who will go and take the bait that you have, as little as it may seem to you, and just cast it out in front of them and see what the Spirit of God will do with it? If you want to truly be satisfied you must be about his business. We must be about his business. That is the call of this church. And that is what we're going to learn how to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you looked into our lives and in spite of our past history and our failures and our stubbornness and all the other stuff that you saw, but you saw through it. And for whatever reason, you reached out in love and you sent someone to us. And they were obedient just as Jesus was obedient with that woman. And they shared something with us that your spirit took and touched our heart with. This morning, we thank you for whoever that was. We may not even be able to remember who it was. It may have been someone on television. It may have been someone in the pulpit here. It may have been somebody in a coffee shop. Wherever it was, you sent somebody. And they were obedient and they went. And that's why we're here in your kingdom. That's why we've tasted of that water and have that well, that fountain inside of us today. We see from your word that you've called us, anointed us and assigned us 
to go do the same thing. We come to you where we are this morning, Father, and by and large, although we've got some that have done some things as a church, we've really failed at this. It's not been our consuming desire. It's not been the main thing in our life. We've been more concerned with other issues and other things even in church and not the things that are so concerning to you. So this morning, Father, we repent of that and ask you to forgive us. We come to you and ask you, Jesus, to first of all put in our hearts a desire, a desire to go fishing, a desire to go fishing, and to help us to see what you see, feel what you feel, that we might do what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.